0: What child is this who lay to rest on Mando's lap is sleeping? Whom sith do chase with utmost haste while shock troopers watch is keeping? This... This is Yoda's kind, whom rebels guard and hunters find. Haste, haste to bring him frogs, the babe, the son of Mando. (laughs) That was an arrangement by the fantastic Kelly Gruber. (laughs) If you've been following... The adventures of the child slash Baby Yoda on The Mandalorian. I hope you enjoyed that little Christmas carol. Um, But if you have not,
1: that was the wildest thing you've ever heard.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is the I Read Star Wars comic book special. I'm your host, Kara Shamborsky, with host Brian Murray, and we have so many thoughts about Rise of Skywalker. If you have not yet seen Rise of Skywalker, hang up, stop. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't have to, but we are going to spoil the ever-loving hell out of it. So I guess make your (laughs) peace.
0: Full spoilers for all of Rise of Skywalker. We will not be talking about The Mandalorian because I still haven't seen the the season finale. But Rise of Skywalker, this is what we're here for. This is what all of this podcast special has been. Brian, are you okay?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm good. Sure. I'm fine. I'm fine.
0: How are you? We're fine. Everything's situation normal here. Um, so, first off, we read so many comic books in anticipation of this movie, and there were so many comics that they released saying specifically, read these in anticipation of this movie. Do you think any of it actually helped your understanding of the movie, Brian?
1: No, in fact, I, I think the only thing that I saw that prepared me for this movie was uh, the bit from of Palpatine from Fortnite.
0: Fortnite?
1: Yeah, you know, Fortnite, the uh, the video game that all the kids are playing what? these days.
0: What are you talking about?
1: So there was a Star Wars event, and as part of the Star Wars event in Fortnite, they had the audio message that the opening crawl of Rise of Skywalker refers to.
0: Oh my God, really? Yeah,
1: that audio was in Fortnite, not in the movie.
0: Wow. Okay, okay. I I had two pieces of media that I thought did some at least semi-effective foreshadowing of what happened in the movie. Uh, and one of them was in fucking Alphabet Squadron, Brian. <laughs> um, so... For one of, If you've been listening along with all of our episodes for one of our earlier I Read Star Wars comic books podcasts, um, we read Alphabet Squadron and TIE Fighter, which were a novel and a comic book that were complementary to each other. And I struggled to get through Alphabet Squadron because I didn't connect with the writer's style. But there were books pieces of it. So this, this alphabet squadron takes place kind of like right after the fall of the empire when the new Republic is just getting its feet. And there's this like creepy robot that lingers on a former Imperial ship that like said this terrible order to the captain or or admiral of this ship saying basically kill everybody and the, the, so the this ex-Imperial has been just kind of letting this creepy robot linger in the hopes that Palpatine will send another post-death message. So yeah. that, to me, was the clearest piece of foreshadowing that we consumed.
1: I guess, and I didn't think about it because I didn't read it in preparation for this, but the uh, the Aftermath trilogy had some mention of like Palpatine giving secret orders to a mass in the unknown regions and stuff like that.
0: See that that's, that's sort of a tie in the, the only, um, tie in from a comic that we didn't even read for the show, which I'm a little frustrated at, but I guess you got my money, Disney. Good for you. (laughs) I read star Wars allegiance. I think was the most recent one Mm -hmm. that was like, it specifically said journey to rise of Skywalker on it. So I was like, Oh shit, I got to read this. So I did. And they, I, I hesitate to call it foreshadowing, but they do introduce the character of Aftab Akbar, who's Admiral Akbar's son, who has one speaking line in the movie. So I think that's a stretch to call it foreshadowing because he didn't do anything to move the plot along. Like it was a nice Easter egg, but I was also kind of like, Oh, that's, that's it. You couldn't foreshadow any of the other hundred things that happened in this movie that maybe needed a little bit more explanation.
1: Yeah. And I I think that calling it an Easter egg is exactly right. Like there's all the stuff that, you picked out from the comics that you might have seen a reference to in the rise of Skywalker would have been neat, but it would not have explained anything or, or made the, the movie, like you would not have had a better movie watching experience. You would have just had the moment of going, Oh, it's that guy.
0: Right. Right. And, and I think with some of these like tie in pieces of media, I actually got more frustrated because You know, there's 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 people employed by Disney and Lucasfilm whose job it is to be like, yes, everything is in continuity. And I understand that they're not perfect and there's stuff slipping through the cracks all the time. But there there were some like basically everything to do with Poe Dameron's characterization in rise of skywalker was like completely different from his characterization in literally every other piece of media up until this moment in time which super frustrated me because he's been in books he's been he's had his own eponymous comic book series we learned about his parents and his upbringing and everything about him says i am the rebel alliance poster child so all of a sudden in rise of skywalker when they're like by the way, he definitely like smuggled drugs and is a shady person. And like they, at the beginning of the movie, they try to do a few little things with Finn being like, Poe. where are you learning all this shady stuff? But like, we've never seen Poe do shady stuff before now. So his entire like sketchy backstory that like, where in his timeline did this happen? If he was a pilot for the new Republic, by the way, like it didn't fit for me. And I was so confused that I couldn't just accept it.
1: And that, that, got to me so much that when i rewatched the movie last night i was specifically paying attention to that that moment when uh what's her name zori bliss uh mm-hmm. says that poe basically screwed her over when he left their drug running gang to go join the resistance so they're yeah. they're completely erasing the, that that comic that we read
0: right like we read a comic where he is a new republic pilot who essentially of like it's implied he gets radicalized into the guerrilla resistance because he's like, wow, yeah, this galaxy's messed up. I should help.
1: Because Holdo is so cool.
0: (laughs) She is so cool. Oh my God. But like, don't have hundreds of pages of media about a character and then all of a sudden say, by the way, this character is actually this and you should have been picking it up the whole time. Like if throughout the movies and throughout the series we had been seeing that Poe maybe had some like more questionable skills or was constantly like picking locks or something like I would be more accepting of this but we read so many stories about Poe and all of them are like I am a squeaky clean pilot
1: yeah yeah I mean if if in the in episode seven we had seen him hotwire as Peter and in episode eight he had like a sketchy contact or something and then in episode nine then Finn is confronting him about being sketchy then yes, that would track. But this is, this it wasn't great. I didn't like it.
0: <laughs> I felt like it was them trying to be like, hey, we don't have a Han Solo character and this is our Han Solo character. And I'm like, well, n- no. <laughs> no.
1: Yeah, he's your Princess Leia.
0: He is 100% the Princess Leia, but without maybe some of the sass, but with all of the attitude. Yeah. I mean, it, like rewatching the films leading up to this, if nothing else, just shows you that Princess Leia is one of the strongest characters in 20th century media at all.
1: Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I I, I did not give her the credence she deserved as a child, and I regret that about my past.
0: Okay, we live and learn. Yeah. Just like apparently sketchy Poe learning to be not sketchy, even though he was never sketchy to begin with. I'm so frustrated. I,
1: the the <laughs> thing that gets me is that the, the one thing I was happy about when Disney acquired Star Wars was that they reset canon and only the things in the movies were canon and then everything that came out was supposed to be canon. But now we're in this situation where we we have two different things contradicting each other that are both supposed to be canon. So yeah. do we have A canon and B canon now again? I just... I, I can't well, d- other- do that again. I can't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, the other thing is like that comic that we were talking about where he is a New Republic fighter pilot is like that was in the like Journey to Rise of Skywalker Age of Resistance collection. Yeah. Like, I was specifically supposed to read that. So then, like, I don't know, maybe have a comic book story in that where he's doing something that's maybe a little questionable or like, I don't know. Okay, we're not just going to talk about Poe in this, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the second time I watched this movie, I w- was since I had like, cause the first time I watched it, it was very much like, wait, what, wait, what, wait, what? And I felt like I was just like flipping my head all over the place the whole time to like soak everything in. But the second time, since I knew it was coming, I could actually like watch the movie. And since we had done an earlier episode about the comic book adaptations of the other films in this newer trilogy, I couldn't help but think of what parts in Rise of Skywalker would have maybe functioned better as a comic book. Um, So I wanted to talk about that because there were a few moments for me where I was just kind of like, Ooh, it's not quite clicking as film, but as a comic, this would be great. And I think for me that the strongest moment for uh, that kind of concept was when Rey was kind of like flat on her back in Palpatine's like Sith cave and looking at the battle above her. And then she looks through the battle up to the stars and hears the voices of all these Jedi who came before her. And I lost my shit at that scene and started crying because even if I couldn't pick out every single voice, I was like, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's Qui-Gon Jinn. And then it was like seeing the full list of actors that they got to come in and reprise their roles from Clone Wars and Rebels, I like extra lost my shit. But no one who, like anyone who hasn't seen those other pieces of media would have any idea what was happening there. So that's a moment where I was like, oh... In the comic adaptation, this should be like a double page spread where the artist can kind of sketch in like headshots of everyone, essentially. So, you know, who's speaking, which would have been super distracting, like that would have been really distracting as film. But we see that kind of storytelling device in comic books all the time. And I think it would have served that scene really well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that I think would look cool as a still image. But if you had like weird ghostly outlines moving their lips and speaking their lines, that would have looked kind of lame. (laughs) I I definitely think that you're spot on there. And I think that
0: like something in comics you can just get away with because your mind is kind of filling in the gaps of what's happening.
1: Yeah, exactly. You don't have to worry about like the uncanny valley movements of the face because the face isn't moving.
0: What about think, you, Brian? Did you have a moment where you were like, that will work as a comic?
1: For sure. Uh a, a lot of the, the Ray Kylo dyad stuff, and I don't I don't want to go into that too much. <laughs>
0: Well, the first time I saw the movie, I didn't even pick up on that being a word. And then I saw it online and I was like, wait, what is a dyad? And then the second time I watched it, they said it like twice, but it was almost like they're skipping over it.
1: Yeah. But I, I think that a lot of those scenes where he's in one place and she's in the other and they're talking to each other, the the way the background kept changing around them was kind of a cool visual trick, but it was also kind of distracting and I think that in a comic where you can kind of put them in opposing panels, that'll just track a lot more cleanly. Oh, yeah. Uh, ditto for when they're when they're fighting over the First Order transport with the Force. Uh, I think that that could be like a really cool like half page or even like a two page spread of...
0: Wait, that just reminded me. That was another piece of foreshadowing. That was in my, like, do you, so, okay, like, in the four days before I saw this movie, I, I binge listened to three different Star Wars audiobooks, which the only way I accomplished this was because it was a weekend. But basically, I had Audible credits, and I was like, I'm gonna get all of the Journey to Rise of Skywalker books. So one of the ones that I listened to was Force Collector, and it's about this kid who's like force sensitive. If he like touches something that has been in contact with the force or like a force wielder, he can kind of like get flashes of memory from that item. It's pretty cool. So, he and he and this girl in his class like steal her dad's ship and like bounce around the galaxy looking for like force crap. So, basically, we're seeing the star Wars story and the Skywalker saga through the eyes of this kid. Who's just kind of piecing it together as he goes. Oh, cool.
1: So he's finding like relics of the Skywalker lineage or something.
0: Totally. And there's this bit where he's actually, and this is the part that was confusing to me because I'm trying to like get the timeline of when this book is happening. And it's very clearly happening like just before force awakens, which was confusing to me. But, um, One of his, like, last stops is on Jakku, where he's going after stories of the time that, like, Luke Skywalker dragged ships out of the sky during that battle over Jakku that, like, left all those ships strewn around in the desert. Which, like, I I guess maybe that battle was in that video game. And
1: I mean, we got we got part of it in uh, Lost Stars, right? Is that what the one was with the two teenagers? Yeah,
0: well, well, that was I mean, that in Lost Stars, that was what was happening, like above that battle. But we didn't really hear about Luke Skywalker being involved in the battle on the ground. But in Force Collector, this kid's talking about he's heard stories that Luke Skywalker was an instrumental part of this battle pulling ships out of the sky. So since I had just listened to that audiobook going into Rise of Skywalker when Ray all of a sudden like reaches out her hand to drag the ship, I'm like, oh that's what Luke did on Jakku. And I like didn't even think about how I knew that information. I was just kind of like, yes, this is a thing that has happened before in Star Wars. <laughs> like completely forgetting that it's in an obscure audiobook that maybe like a hundred thousand people listen to.
1: Yeah, I I thought that the uh some of the some of the Force tricks they've added are a little much.
0: Like, all of a sudden, the Jedi can do anything. We got out of that... So I went to see the movie the second time with my family, and we got out of it, and my mother, who has seen Star Wars but is not a Star Wars fan, was like... She had, like, a list of questions as long as her arm, and one of them was like, <laughs> So the Jedi... Can bring people back to life and haven't done that before now. Like, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, it's it's possible to to Jedi lay on hands, and uh, but we still <laughs> had fucking Depa Balaba floating in a back to tank in a coma for a month back in the Clone Wars. Right. Y- Yoda, right, Yoda couldn't have just patched that up.
0: I have questions.
1: It's it's, it's like then- with the Poe thing. It's it's one more case where. JJ is throwing some shit against the wall and it's just confusing the existing canon.
0: So, and I think, I think that's really the root of my feelings about this movie. Cause I don't, I don't dislike this movie, but I also hesitate to say that I like it. I think my overwhelming response is I have questions like, yeah. All I can do while watching this movie is thinking, wait, what? And, like, I don't want that to be my experience watching a Star Wars movie. Yeah. But I also, I read, there was a great review of Rise of Skywalker in the New York Times that essentially said, hey, let's be real. You can make all of the rank them from best to worst lists you want. But Star Wars is not a good franchise. They're not good movies. They're fun <laughs> and we love them, but they're not good. So just go watch the Star Wars and enjoy yourself. Like get over it. And I thought that was a very good perspective to have going into Rise of Skywalker.
1: Yeah, it's it, that that's a fair thing to say. <laughs>
0: Like this, this critic was basically like, "You can talk about Empire and Last Jedi as much as you want. We all know these movies are not good movies." <laughs> so, oh, but yeah, no, I, I, I really, I, I agree with you. I feel like there was so much, even just in the last few years, because Disney and printing money and Star Wars, so. There's been so much produced around these characters, even still, not, like not knowing Ray's lineage until this movie, and we still a lot don't know of it Ray's lineage.
1: What of got, are you talking about?
0: <laughs> like a lot of it really did get thrown out the window in this movie. So I agree with you. Now I'm just kind of like looking at all these comics that we read and some of the books that I read, and I'm just kind of like, but how does this work now?
1: I saw somebody explaining it in a really funny way on Twitter, of just. Somebody be like uh, Ryan Johnson setting up an improv scene and be like, "Okay, so we're at a grocery store," and then JJ Abrams going, "No, we're not. We're at the movies."
0: <laughs> it's yes and JJ, yes and
1: yeah, yeah. It should have been yes and what we got is no but. <laughs>
0: uh, so so going back to what I think would work better as a comic book. I mean, I think the clear option here is anything to do with leia because unfortunately carrie fisher passed away before they could do any filming for this movie Mm -hmm. so they had to kind of like awkwardly splice and cgi her in. even though they said they weren't gonna cgi her so i'm kind of mad about that and yeah every single one of those scenes will do so much better in the comic adaptation because they can just draw leia and make her say and do whatever needs to be done so i personally would love a comic, like even if it's not attached to the adaptation of just like how Ray and Leia decided that Leia was gonna like Jedi train Ray, maybe intersplices with like flashbacks of Leia's training with Luke. Now that we know that that's a thing that happened,
1: yeah. And I I actually missed that scene the first time I saw the movie because I I went to the bathroom because I you know got a giant movie soda like a fool.
0: <laughs> uh, I. Ha- before before watching this movie with my family, I looked at everyone and I was just kind of like, this is a movie you will not want to go to the bathroom in the middle of. And they all just kind of looked at me and then walked to the restroom. <laughs> so, <laughs> I feel like that's the best spoiler-free warning you can tell people about Rise of Skywalker is pee first and then don't leave.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, because like, I mean so they, they do so much
0: there's really no downtime in this movie which i think added to my like overwhelmed feeling
1: yeah i feel like uh if if you do need to go to the bathroom if for some reason you have not seen it and you're listening to this massive spoiler review which,
0: uh why but also okay also
1: yeah <laughs> uh go to the bathroom when they're on kajimi uh because oh, yeah you can you can skip babu freak and uh not miss anything
0: on the other hand, Babu Frick was my parents' favorite part, so possibly he's there for the Boomer crowd. Oh, I mean,
1: he's he's certainly charming. I, <laughs> I did enjoy the hell out of Babu Frick, but you don't need him. You can understand well, everything without him.
0: Okay, that's how I felt about D.O. Like, I understand that the reason D.O. exists is toys yeah. and money, <laughs> but story-wise he's superfluous like i guess you could argue but he had all those plans from that ship and i'm like maybe the plans were in the ship's mainframe maybe there's another like random thing that shows up but did we need to introduce a whole nother character that just had like this one tiny bit
1: i think that he existed to give us more droid shit to talk about because now we know that droids droids can be traumatized
0: Whoa, let's talk about droids. If you've been following our I Read Star Wars comic book special, you will notice the through line is Brian's and my magical journey of self-discovery as we realize that droids have feelings and are sentient and are really treated shittily in the Star Wars universe. And nowhere is that highlighted more effectively than in Rise of Skywalker. Mm Mm-hmm. Like how did you feel when 3PO was doing his whole like you get to decide if you get mind wiped thing? Uh
1: I thought it was pretty dumb how he was like, "Oh, I'm taking a last look at my friends." It was like, "Oh, you mean the the people who have been nothing but mean to you this entire film?"
0: Like like I I I that line would have been so much more powerful if he was like just talking to Chewbacca or if r2d2 was there or if he had been talking to like luke leia and han or whatever but like he's just met these kids
1: yeah like at most i think they've known each other for a few months yeah i guess poe probably longer but
0: but still i'm just kind of like okay i get it but also like oh man and it was just such a powerful moment because c3po is comedic relief he and r2d2 are the little like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern side characters who like make you giggle between the serious mm-hmm. stuff that's happening. So I did appreciate that they gave three PO this moment where everyone else did recognize that he was the most equipped being in the room to calculate what their odds were that he had the agency to choose to make the decision of if he was going to get his mind wiped to do this translation or not And that he then, like, actually took a moment to appreciate the people around him. And these three things combined were incredible, and I did tear up. But I was also just kind of like, man, fuck everyone who mistreats droids. Like, seriously.
1: Yeah, I, to me, so the visual metaphor that I came up with for this is, it's like somebody has been a clown the entire time. They're dressed as a clown, they have clown makeup on, and then you make them have a very serious moment but they're still wearing their clown makeup. And then after that, they go back to being a clown. And I don't know, that just sort of detracts from my, my enjoyment of the, the serious moment.
0: Well, the thing that, that for me, I don't know if taking away from that moment is what I really mean here, but you know, R2D2 did have a backup of his memory bank. So he only really just forgot his intense moment. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, okay, hey, yeah. if he, like, like, even with him joking that R2-D2, like, it has, like, faulty memory banks or whatever, like, okay, R2-D2 might be a little shit mouth asshole, but I'm pretty sure he would have guarded that part of his memory bank with his entire being, because 3PO is his best friend. He says so to 3PO. Like, so that's just, like, man... 3PO he's got your back like calm down like do the memory wipe knowing that r 2 d 2s gonna restore you and for that matter do you think for one second that Princess Leia wouldn't have a backup of 3PO and R2D2's memory drive somewhere knowing all the shit they've seen for decades yeah. like let's plot holes I only find plot holes Brian
1: yeah oh, my God. uh <laughs> So, what about stuff that, uh, when they do the comic adaptation, is there anything that you think they should leave out of it?
0: Palpatine? No. <laughs> no um, oh, boy. So anything that they should leave out? Um, I think that there's more stuff like, like i I kind of don't even want to see a straight adaptation i or in like the single volumes that we've been seeing, like the ones that we saw were I think at max six issues long for six the comic adaptation yeah,
1: something like that
0: this one needs at least twelve because there are only questions, and this adaptation would only benefit from going a little bit more in depth to those in not even in terms of people's backstories, just in terms of letting moments breathe that needed to breathe like a moment that i really liked in the movie that they just skipped over so fast was finn realizing that he wasn't the only stormtrooper to defect Mm -hmm. and that was a potentially super powerful moment where you get the first glimpse that maybe yes people in the galaxy can rise up and do want to do things that will just benefit their fellow man and woman and they just kind of like And now we're past that moment. And I was like, wait, no, that was the thing that you're trying to do. Okay. (laughs) Uh, And then when Lando and Chewie leave in the Falcon to go, like, assemble everyone from the core planets, and then all of a sudden everyone shows up, that part was kind of empty for me because we didn't see, like, what they were saying and the people's reactions. Like, that's a moment that for me would have been really beautiful and stirring if we saw like this earnest plea from these guys that were there for the rebellion and they're now just like hey like the moment is now like you have to come right now yeah. and then like seeing the reactions of people on all these planets being like oh man yeah i'm getting in my boat right now it was very very um uh dunkirk with all the brits just like getting into their sailboats and sailing across the channel to retrieve the british soldiers from besieged france in world war one like i think that's what abrams was going for but it didn't quite connect because we didn't see the process and i guess it was supposed to be like you know the big reveal and oh my god everyone does care but for me like that should be half a comic issue right there of lando like convincing everyone like this is the right thing the time is now
1: or even if he's not like doing that even if we just had like a transmission from him and we just get like here's a panel of wedge watching the transmission and here's a panel of it like playing on the ghost or something like i think that would be more impactful for me than the you know 0.6 seconds of wedge antilles that we got in this film
0: i was so mad when i realized that that was wedge so the first time i saw this movie I was like, was that Wedge? And then the second time I saw it, I was like, that's definitely Wedge. And his adopted son just died like 30 seconds before this. And what am I watching? And that was a moment for me that I was really like, oh, they didn't. Like all the things that I was told to read before this movie came out was a lie. Like the what was it? Resistance Reborn. Was that the book? Where they were like, uh
1: rise of the resistance i think or something rise like of, that
0: yeah where they were just like this if you read one novel before going into rise of skywalker it's this one and like half the subplot is like snap wexley and his wife coming to adoptive dad wedge in tilly's home to be like dad we need you we need you to rejoin the fight and wedge being like nah but snap finally calling wedge dad and you're just like my heart But, like, you leave off with Wedge Antilles not coming back to join the fight. And in the movie, all of a sudden you have Wedge and you have Snap, but you don't have them interacting and one of them dies and you don't see the reaction of the other one. And I'm just like, what is going on?
1: Yeah. And Snap's wife and Wedge's wife are nowhere to be seen.
0: Right. And I'm just like, okay, so you wanted me to know about Wedge. You wanted me to know about Snap. But in the movie, you really highlight neither of them. Like, Snap's just there because J.J. Abrams likes that actor. What?
1: Yeah, yeah, because Greg Grunberg is his buddy.
0: <laughs> Which I'm like, cool, but also we didn't really see him in The Last Jedi. So unless you just watch Force Awakens, maybe you don't remember this character. This was like, as you can tell, this was part of a very impassioned dinner conversation I had with my family post-watching Rise of Skywalker, because I, like... They all like Star Wars. They all watch Star Wars with me, but like, I'm the Star Wars fan. And I was just like, Wedge Antilles was robbed! And they were like, who is Wedge Antilles? And I'm like, what do you mean? And it was just one of those moments where you realize how much of a nerd you are. Because everyone around (laughs) you is just like, what are you talking about? I was like, Wedge Antilles, the only Rebel Alliance fighter pilot we see in the original trilogy in every single movie besides Luke? And they're like, what? I'm like, he's the dude with the eyebrows. You'll know him if you see
1: him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, from all the all the, the, the X-Wing books.
0: <laughs> you know, didn't, didn't anyone read uh, Rogue Squadron? Like, nobody? Okay. <laughs> uh, but you know, again, that's my like problem with all these tie-ins. They're like, you must read this tie-in before this movie. And I'm like, no, I did not. Or if I did, then you didn't do a great job of tying it in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I am kind of a sieve, or a sieve, or however you say it, when it comes to reading. Like I sure. I retain maybe 25% of what I read. Okay. But that's fair. E- e- even in that case, like if some of this stuff had been foreshadowed, I would have remembered something.
0: Yeah, I mean, you did remember something. You remembered that scene from Fortnite.
1: Oh, true. Yeah, great. That's <laughs> that's what that's what I'm going to be known for put them on a fucking tombstone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh, man. Yeah, or, like, that the whole dyad thing. Like, that could have used a little more space to breathe or someone being like, what's a dyad? Like, like, that's a moment for exposition there, friends. And that in a comic book could work because they could have, like, even a little corny editor's note being like, a dyad is when two people are forced joined.
1: Yeah, instead of... Oh, i just like picking a word for it and going with it.
0: Brian, I just realized my answer to your question about what would I omit in a comic book adaptation of Rise of Skywalker, okay. which I'm viewing as licensed to take out pieces of Rise of Skywalker that I'm mad at. <laughs> namely, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> namely, that kiss between Rey and <sighs> Kylo Ren. He, he is abusive. Get away from him.
1: Yeah, there's no indication that you actually have feelings for him beyond, like, I don't know, pity and sympathy?
0: Wanting to redeem him? I get that. Wanting to make out with him after he spent two and a half movies verbally and physically torturing you?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. he's tried to kill you multiple times in the mm-hmm. last 18 hours. <laughs> because oh this God. whole movie takes place in 18 hours for some reason.
0: Like, girl! Oh man, and I just, I just get frustrated that the narrative for women in film is so often love interest. And we were so close to not having that be what was going on with Ray, and it was like yeah. normalized that she didn't have a love interest. And then all of a sudden, it's like, no, actually, she thinks Kylo Ren is hot, and I'm like, no. <laughs>
1: I was listening to another podcast. Uh, it's never, never tell me the pods is what it's called. It's another like geeks geeking out about Star Wars podcast. Sure. And they referred to it as court-mandated heterosexuality. <laughs> like uh-huh. the movie had to have its hetero moment.
0: It's just, I mean, they did that with the introduction of Zori Bliss. Who, like, I have nothing against her. She seems like a cool character. But like, introduce her earlier in the series. If you want, I I think she would have been more effective as someone maybe, like, we saw it in Force Awakens briefly. Maybe that could have been Poe's shady contact for some reason. And then she comes in later or whatever. But, like, her existence in Rise of Skywalker to me was so, like, look, Poe's definitely not gay. And I'm like, I got news for you, Disney. Poe's at the very least bisexual and Zori Bliss is for sure gay. So I think you miscalculated (laughs) here. (laughs) Like...
1: Was it the, the the purple jumpsuit and the gold helmet that gave it away?
0: <laughs> her complete lack of interest in actually making out with him. She just wanted him to, like, escape with her. Because, like, I don't know, Disney, maybe they're friends. Like, maybe they're gay besties. Just I, trying to make it in this crazy galaxy.
1: <laughs> I will say that one of my favorite moments of the entire film... Was at the very end when Poe just like gives her like the eyebrow raise and she shakes her head and he's like, No, that's cool. I get that.
0: (laughs) Right. And like, and we all know Oscar Isaac could have chemistry with a brick and it would work. And that's why those scenes work. But uh, like, he said in interviews that he's like frustrated that Disney didn't let him take the relationship with Finn further because he's like, Yeah, we could do something with this. I'm into that. And I'm like, We are also very much into that. Oscar Isaac, thank you for noticing. And Disney was like, "Mm, but foreign markets and stuff. And I'm like, if your actor is telling you that their character would do the thing, maybe listen to them. Like they're kind of the expert.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's been, he's been living in Poe Dameron's head for, I don't know, four years now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so so Zori Bliss's existence to me was very like, look, kids, he's definitely straight. And I'm like, mm, is he though?
1: Yeah. He I, I would, if somebody gave me a pair of scissors and let me go after this movie, I would definitely cut out the, uh, the Snokes and the cloning tank. I know it's just like one, one shot, but it's so dumb looking.
0: <laughs> um, Counterpoint the existence of the Snokes in the tanks were the only thing that made me accept all those hooded people in that Sith stadium because I was like, oh, that's clones.
1: Are they all Snokes?
0: I don't know. We don't see them. Okay, so this is one of the things that drove me crazy about this movie where I was so distracted because I had so many questions. And one of them was, how did Palpatine secretly amass Thousands, if not millions, of acolytes to a planet that no one knows how to get to, and build thousands of ships with what material? Where are their housings? What is the food situation like? Is there a sanitation department?
1: They, they eat snows. Come on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, if we're going to go there, then where are you getting the genetic and scientific material to construct thousands of Snokes for people to eat? Was there only one Snoke, or do the Snoke clones have a short lifespan, and therefore the one we saw holographically in The Force Awakens is different from the one Kylo Ren killed? Can Snoke then actually die if he's just cloned over and over again? Are all the hooded figures cloned Palpatines or Snokes? Is Snoke a clone of Palpatine? Like, was Ray's dad a clone of Palpatine and he's just calling him the son? We already saw that happen with Jango Fett and Boba Fett. Why not with the Snoke Palpatines? I'll stop yeah, now. And right? Please give may- me a thought.
1: <laughs> may- maybe the, the first Snoke really was that big. And then Palpatine was like, fuck, I gotta make a smaller one. This guy keeps hitting his head on doors. We gotta, we gotta shrink him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so <laughs> for those of you listening to this recording we're actually recording this as a live show and uh subscribers to our Patreon have access to this this channel so they can text their thoughts and uh Patreon subscriber and fan of the show Cinco has just typed Brian please never say they eat snokes again
1: <laughs> which I say no <laughs> promises <laughs> <laughs> I will not make a promise I know I cannot keep. Uh,
0: oh man but like i'm so distracted by all those hooded figures and then at the end when they're blown away like were they all a figment of ray's imagination projected by the power of the sith were they digitally projected like holograms were they in fact snoke clones and if so did they all die or are they just waiting to be reanimated are they all frankenstein-esque creatures like
1: i mean we know for a fact that one of them was just caesar from planet of the apes wait really there was the the monkey blacksmith in there who was, like, just a fucking chimpanzee for some reason.
0: <laughs> what did we watch? What is this movie? He was, he
1: was the guy who repaired Kylo Ren's helmet. And I was just like, this is Caesar, you know?
0: <laughs> okay, wait. So if in the comic book adaptation we're taking out Snoke in a can... Um, then we all like, would you also take out the hooded creatures or would you use the comic book adaptation opportunity to show us who's under those hoods or does it even matter? Am I just mad because no one hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans and I'm living that reality right now?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think they matter. I think They're we just, just there. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. Like, they're, like they're, Cinco has said in the chat, thought they were like a mental projection of past Sith. Like, uh, which l- could be
0: maybe, sure, I guess. But then if they make get to as be much there, sense as anything why else, not, why not the Council of the Jedi? Why does Rage just hear their voices? Why can't we see them glowing? Okay, so this is some. This was one of my first reactions to the film. And Tia, like, lovingly yelled at me because it's very on brand for me. But, like, if we're seeing this many ghosts, why not the Anakin Force ghost to be like, hey, Ben, get your shit together. What are you doing? (laughs) Like. He's three movies like like Kylo Ren has spent three films now idolizing his dead grandfather. And if you're bringing back literally everyone else, then wouldn't this be the opportunity to have like a real face to face, heart to heart with Anakin just being like, bruh, you do not get it.
1: Yeah, Uh, maybe I don't know. Did you notice that uh, Ben's scar appears to disappear? At the end of the movie?
0: are we willing to believe that that was intentional or are we willing to believe that this movie was so crazily put together that that was just a continuity oversight, Brian?
1: I feel like it probably would have been intentional. Like if it was like a side effect of the force healing or something. And I just like missed the scar disappearing. Cause I was focused on the truly gnarly shot of, <laughs> of his stomach oozing back up. You
0: know what? I'm willing to buy into that. I'm willing to buy into the force healing did a little bit more than just the stuff in his gut. I'll, yeah, I'll accept but, that.
1: But also now we're talking about force healing again, so <laughs> we can like, I can't go back down that hole.
0: And like I get it. The Jedi are always kind of adding to their abilities. Like we didn't really hear about Jedi coming, quote unquote, coming back from the dead until at the end of the Revenge of the Sith, where Yoda's like, Obi-Wan, go to Tatooine and start meditating because Qui-Gon Jinn figured out how to cross back. And that, to me, was kind of like the explanation that Force ghosts were not a thing in the Age of the Republic. Mm -hmm. Like, that was a new development in Jedi powers, which makes sense. Like, this, the Force is there constantly, so one assumes that people who are Force-sensitive or like, strong in the Force would finally, like, figure out ways to kind of level up their powers. Sure. But, like... Like, have... have So... So I said we weren't going to talk about the Mandalorian, but we're going to go super briefly into the one piece of foreshadowing in the Mandalorian that they did prior to rise of skywalker so they released episode seven of the mandalorian like the day before the fan preview screenings for rise of skywalker happened and in it you do see the child using force healing powers so okay so then force healing has been around since post like battle against the empire sure then did luke know how to do it did leia know how to do it is this just something ray can do because she's the new luke skywalker and they can just do shit because they're the protagonist
1: yeah i i don't know i don't know i don't know <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, um i read comics books podcast superstar kate Lanfear has commented kara it's a metaphor for how ray's love can heal all his past scars <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay
1: yeah that's that's the, the the lesson of this movie kids is that if you if you just love a boy enough you could fix him
0: i hate it so much brian <laughs> i hate it so much
1: yeah yeah to be absolutely clear that is not a thing you can do I, please please nobody live by those words
0: okay wait wait, wait. um so i was just, so i was saying burn it all down which made me think of the burning tree scene in The Last Jedi, which now, speaking of our earlier conversation about, hey, Star Wars, pay attention to your own continuity. Where the fuck did Rey get those Jedi texts if Luke burned them up?
1: Oh, she had them at the end of uh, The Last Jedi. There's like a, a blink and you miss it shot on the Falcon where you see the box of books.
0: But he burned them up. So how did she get them?
1: He, he didn't burn them up. He was going to go in there and burn them, but then Yoda hit the tree with lightning before Luke actually got in there.
0: Yeah, but they're still burned up. So where did she get the books? Did Luke had like have like a second set lying she, around somewhere? She
1: went and got them before she left. They just didn't show you her getting them. But they showed That's you at the end of the movie that she them. had them.
0: That's sloppy. I don't like that. I'm mad.
1: It's, it's definitely not the best way to convey that information.
0: <laughs> no, I promise everyone listening, I went into this podcast episode being like, Brian, we're going to be positive and constructive, and we're going to talk about uh, things that aren't necessarily bashing this movie. But we have passed that point, friends.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you may have also noticed that we are currently closing in on the 50-minute mark on this recording. This is just going to be a long one.
0: I just... I, this is the like, this is, is the there, last
1: episode. We're allowed.
0: I only have questions. <sighs> oh no, I I I think that I think my number one, if if I had to distill all of my questions into one kind of overarching concern, it would tie back to what we were saying about the lack of foreshadowing. I think a lot of what happened in this movie would have worked if they had foreshadowed or introduced some of the concepts earlier in the series, or even in some of the extended media, but they didn't. And I get that they were trying to go for like a shock and awe thing with the whole like Palpatine lives concept. But there were so many things in this movie that I think that would have benefited from even just a little bit of advanced groundwork on the storytelling front.
1: Yeah. uh, I I think that's, 100% 100% correct
0: like all the things that we've been saying about Poe Dameron's characterization the existence of Zori Bliss basically everything to do with droids <laughs> um, like there's so much that I think like I'm willing to believe to buy into it a lot like okay like this is a story about space wizards and crazy space battles and I get that just by talking about it, I'm taking it way too seriously. But if you want me to buy into the rules of the universe, then please stick to the rules within the universe on the yeah. level that makes me accept the story. Like there's, there's a tremendous amount of suspension of disbelief and viewer buy in just by watching these movies. But if you start to like have contradictions within your movies or not effectively build up to certain moments then you just end up with fans like me who only have questions as opposed to just acceptance about what's happening
1: yeah or turbo nerds like me who are like well how did how did ben get to exegol because that looks like a classic tie fighter and those don't have hyperdrives, drives so what, what did he do <laughs>
0: Maybe it's a new fancy TIE Fighter.
1: Where'd he get it then? Because he he could have only scavenged it from the wreckage of the Death Star. That's the only place I can think of he would have gotten that ship.
0: Maybe it's special because he's using tapping into the force and oh. Yeah, fuck
1: it. Why not, right?
0: Oh Force
1: hyperdrive. That's
0: I'm just making crap up right now, just like JJ Abrams.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I and I I don't want it to sound like like we're we're not trying to shit on the movie or say like this is a bad movie and you shouldn't like it. Like 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 or
0: as per as per that New York Times review all Star Wars movies are terrible, but we love them and that's okay.
1: Yeah, this just maybe it's because we spent so much time doing these episodes <laughs> getting ourselves really really worked up about Star Wars. Um, no, no, no,
0: no, no. I I disagree with that, because, and I'm sure many people who are listening to this will have a similar experience, the people around me who don't read all the extra stuff and don't have a ridiculous memory about obscure Star Wars trivia are even more confused than I am, if my parents and brother are any indication of this movie. Like, everyone came out of that movie being like, what? So, yeah. I'm I am very interested to see what they do with a comic book adaptation for this. If it's anything like the Last Jedi adaptation we read, it can only help. So my out-of-the-box thought on kind of filling in some of the gaps we have and all these questions is Brian, do you remember how for The Last Jedi they basically had Luke narrate the whole thing except for Leia's space floating moment when like she was narrating? Yeah. So picture the Rise of Skywalker comic adaptation, except Palpatine's narrating. Hmm. So we're seeing all of Rise of Skywalker, but from Palpatine's perspective. So instead of maybe watching it the way we watched it as a film, we're seeing the more linear Palpatine has like maybe even two pages, maybe even a page about how he got from dead at the bottom of the Death Star to creepy zombie robot arm dude
1: to to how he he went from being thrown down a pit and then exploding and then crashing to a planet to then Uh being on a gimbal on a different planet
0: Uh uh-huh so i feel like if palpatine's the narrator in a comic adaptation then we still see what happens but we see it through his kind of like creepy omniscience that he tries to go for which may or may not be totally off totally omniscient but as a storytelling device might work to fill some of these gaps and you could kind of see the story through the lens of his arrogance and his certainty and his own victory which of course was his downfall at the Again. end of return of the jedi because storytelling is cyclical especially in the star wars universe yeah. but it could at least give us some more information about like how he actually felt about his son as opposed to like like was it really just you exist so maybe you'll have a force sensitive offspring that i can then use to become the most powerful Sith there are so many holes in this plan just yeah. even talking about it i'm like mad at palpatine for not being a better bad guy like, why are the bad guys always so flawed
1: so we've we've proven that he can create force sensitive clones through snoke right why didn't he just clone himself
0: and then if he did and if his son was a clone of him then like was it just the son was supposed to inherit this mantle of the Sith but then like fell in love and ran away and they had a kid and then Palpatine was like well I'll just deal with the kid then like if this if this goes anywhere near midichlorians I'm going to lose my mind <laughs> but like okay but this was this was another part of my problem like we're not going to get into it because I understand that The Last Jedi was a polarizing movie for a lot of people. But um, I actually really liked the more, like, at, at first it was kind of jarring, but then the more I thought about it, the more I liked the fact that they said, ah, Rey's parents are nobody. Because it kind of broke with this idea that Jedi and Force sensitivity runs in families, which supports the midichlorian argument.
1: Yeah, and Star like, Wars has always been very dynastic in that way.
0: Right. And so I liked that they were being like, well, actually, force sensitivity can come from anywhere. If you want an analogy, uh, the Muggleborns in the Harry Potter universe. And so I liked that there was that variation. And so for them to now to be like, oh, nope, she's super powerful and strong because she's a Palpatine. I'm like, is this like a genetic thing? Is this a midichlorian thing? Is this just Star Wars being Star Wars and about family dynamics? Which like, fine, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those things where like Star Wars has famously been about one disaster family and <laughs> and this is the this this yeah. makes sense in the context of a Star War, but the better more interesting thing to do would have been to stick with the ray from nowhere thing and show that Anybody can be a hero, that you don't need to have been born into this legacy.
0: But, okay, going back to the Star Wars' is dynastic and about family legacy, and we accept that Palpatine has really secretly been the big bad for this entire new trilogy, then the whole scope of the nine-film Skywalker saga really becomes kind of a an overarching conflict between the Emperor and Anakin. Which supports my why wasn't Force Ghost Anakin in this movie to talk some sense into Kylo Ren?
1: Yeah, that's true. Like, I mean,
0: like, if you're bringing back Palpatine, you got to bring back the student who became the master, you know?
1: Yeah, the, the one person who, as we know, has successfully turned against Palpatine's teachings, he would have been the perfect person to guide Kylo back to the light.
0: Such a lost opportunity. And then, okay, so his dad shows up. Is that him hallucinating? I know he says, like, you're in my memory, but they have a pretty lucid conversation. But he's obviously not a Force ghost because he's not glowy. But then a Force ghost does show up, and then I'm like, well, all the Force ghosts are here, so where's Anakin? And we're back to just me wanting more Force ghost Anakin in this movie. All roads lead to Anakin.
1: They're not good roads, folks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, So I saw in your notes, Brian, that you absolutely hated Ray's sharp, pointy teeth when she's dark, Ray.
1: Yes, that was (laughs) I. I was too shocked to be mad about it when it happened in the theater. But the longer I thought about it, the more outraged I became because it's just for like one shot one like. A few frames, we see Ray with sharp, pointy teeth to show she's a bad guy now.
0: Brian, I want you to cast your mind back. I'm about to make you cry. 20 years, roughly. 18 years. Uh-huh. To the Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> cast oh, your God. mind back to... F- Fellowship of the Ring and that scene yep. where Bilbo just goes psycho on Frodo for half a second in Rivendell and like his eyes get scary and his teeth get scary and that is literally the shot that we saw of Ray. in that's what
1: Rise of happened.
0: That's what happened.
1: You're so right. <laughs> oh god, That's
0: the thing that you saw. Also, please cry now that Lord of the Rings was like 18 years ago.
1: Oh, I can't. My tear ducts have withered away. <laughs>
0: But like, oh, and uh, that's actually leading into a point that um, my dad had coming out of this movie. He was like, man, they put a lot of 80s references in there. The Emperor's face melting right out of Raiders of the Lost Ark with like the melting Nazis. Oh, yeah. And, right. Like this whole thing is just J.J. Abrams being like, guys, I really like pop culture. I really, really like pop culture and I really like nerd movies. And I'm like, J.J., I get it. I, I really do but I need you to calm down because <laughs> some of us are trying to make sense of your movie.
1: That, that is another thing that I think having Palpatine as a narrating figure would fix is help us understand like why he thought the force lightning thing was going to work better this time than it did the first time. Cause like Mace Windu already melted you with this move one time and now you're going to, well, you're going to double down on it.
0: We're doubling down. We're doubling uh. down on that move. And then there was another, 80s reference because I've seen the first Ghostbusters movie like once but I'm a human being on the internet I understand the reference don't cross the streams so we come out of the movie and my dad's like she crossed the streams I'm like what? Because Ray holds up the Skywalker lightsabers in an X against Palpatine's like lightning force stuff. JJ I get it you liked the 80s
1: (laughs) Yeah well we're all gonna have to pretend we like the 80s because we got that new Wonder Woman coming out Looking, I mean, I'm looking forward to pretending that 80s music was good for a summer. <laughs> that's a different podcast, uh, though.
0: That's a, that's a, that's a different podcast. We'll get into that though, because now that I've seen the trailer a few times, I'm like, oh, the entire plot is in this trailer. But that's like you said, another podcast. We'll get into that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Brian. I think I think we're both getting tired. <laughs> what do you What do you want? Your last thoughts about Rise of Skywalker and any any let's be hopeful and forward thinking and what if any kind of comic book resolution would you like to see coming out of this movie
1: i guess i would like some idea of where ray goes from here or even even to make it clear for her for us that she doesn't know where she's going either um because right now i have no idea what's going to happen after this and I mean, maybe that's a good thing. I think it probably is, but
0: maybe we'll find out in a Rose Tico series for Disney plus.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, well, the, the shot of her staring into the twin sons, uh, on Tatooine was, you know, like a really cool cyclical thing, you know, like she's doing what Luke did at the beginning and now she's doing it at the end. But I don't know why, what, why was she there burying those lightsabers? Where did she get a lightsaber?
0: She made one and it's yellow, which I think is red. I always liked the yellow sabers, but no, yeah. I know. That's like you know, even at the end, I only have questions. <laughs> um, I guess for for me comic book wise, I would want to see a comic book adaptation that used the advantage of the comic book medium to maybe even just visually flesh out some of the ideas that we saw, like um the force speaking to ray through the voices of the dead jedi and like showing us which jedi those actually were um i would love to have a comic mini series focusing on leia's training and leia's training ray and the parallels if any in that um I would love to see a sequel comic where Poe and Finn get together because in the comics, they let the characters be queer all the time. So let's just go with that. I'll take what I can get. The
1: books in uh, Resistance Rising or whatever it was when Poe is tying Finn's tie and it is like the gayest, most beautiful thing I've ever seen.
0: Gay. Yes, that was great. I was reading that and I was like, Brian's right. This is super gay. I am all about this. This is like, if one of them was a girl, this would be the moment you knew that they had a crush on one another. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <sighs> yep. Um, so, <laughs> uh, Kate Lanfear just texted in the chat, Ray, I have to tell you something. I'm gay with Poe. Yes. That's exactly what Finn should have yelled from those sandpits. But Kate, I'm happy to report to you that I did, read a news feature that said that Finn was going to say, I'm Force-sensitive, and not, I love you. Which is great. Yes, it was very good. I, I saw that, and I was like, well, at least there's that. But then we get into the whole, like, hey, let's have foreshadowed Finn being Force-sensitive before this at all. And if this is a new thing, let's by the end of the movie have said, I am Force-sensitive. And it's just... ah uh, Anyway. Okay. I overall enjoyed the process of deconstructing this movie i'm sure the more i watch it the more it'll become like a comfortable star wars security blanket like the rest of it is and as i said to brian before we individually across the country respectively watch this film at least it's not attack of the clones
1: it is not attack of the clones that is for damn sure
0: (laughs) well Thank you, everyone, for listening to the I Read Star Wars comic book podcast presented by I Read Comic Books. This show was first aired on the IRCB Patreon at patreon.com/slash IRCB Podcast. Special thanks to all you wonderful supporters out there who are some of you listening right now. What's up? Hey, (laughs) Senko. You can send us feedback about this show at ircbpodcast at gmail.com and check out our website, ircbpodcast.com, for our Discord, zines, and all things IRCB.
1: You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ircbpodcast. The show was produced by Brian Murray and Kara Shamborsky, edited by Xander Riggs, with Mike Rappin as executive producer.
0: Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you, always.
1: And with your spirit. <laughs> <laughs>